Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So I want to start this morning with a question for you. How many decisions do you think you make in a single day? You ever, you ever thought about that? How many choices, how many decisions you're faced with every single day? Um, I actually was doing some research, and it's, it's in the thousands, actually. In fact, um, I did some online research, and the best that I could find from a couple of different sources is that we make, on average, over 30,000 decisions a day. No wonder you're so tired, you know? It's, and it's on the internet, so it's got to be true, right? I mean, they wouldn't put something on that wasn't true. Um, and actually, I was reading, it said, uh, over 200 of those decisions we make every day have to do with food and beverages, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink. And I thought, really? 200? And then I started thinking, I went into Starbucks, the one that I don't usually frequent, there was a different one, so they don't know my regular order, you know, so I get up there, and first off, I got to decide, am I going to have a tall, vente, or a grande, you know? And then do you want uh, a bold, you know, the dark roast, or do you want the blonde roast? Well, I'll take the dark roast, please. Do you want that decaf or regular? Uh, regular. Um, do you want room for cream? No, no room for cream. Um, is that for here to go? Uh, I'll have it here. Do you want it in a paper cup or do you want it in a mug? I'll take it in the mug. Do you want something to eat with that? Um, sure, I'll have the oatmeal. Do you want the dried fruit or the blueberries? You know, do you want nuts? No nuts. Do you want agave syrup or, or brown sugar? You know, just, I figured out there was at least 15 decisions I had to make just to have a cup of coffee and a, and a cup of oatmeal. You know what? That is probably something to that. We make thousands of decisions every day. A lot of them we just kind of do by rope, but we really are making choices. And most of the decisions we make are pretty inconsequential. Although you could probably make a case that they do kind of pile up and, and altogether cumulatively, they do have an impact. But, but the bigger decisions, those, those life kind of planning decisions, those are the biggies, like my career path or what school or what major. Should I ask her to marry me? Should we start a family? Um, where, I've got a job offer. Should I make, take, take the job offer? Should we buy that house? Whatever it might be. These are like the major life planning decisions. And when it comes to those, those we take really seriously. And we stop from when we go, well, this is a big And sometimes they can become paralyzing. How do you make the right choice when, when you're faced with those kinds of things? How do you make the right decision? And, and we've been going through the book of James, and James is so practical. It's all about practical faith, everyday kind of stuff. How do you put your faith to work in your life every day? And the next section that we're going to look at today in chapter 4 is all about that big idea. When you plan your life, when you make those major life decisions, how do you make the right choices? Because I think making the right plans and making the right choices and decisions are really about the decision-making process. It's deciding the right way. And that's what James talks about. So if you want to follow along, that's where we're going to be today. James chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, pull it out. If you've got your tablet or phone, whatever. It's James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. It's kind of a little short section compared to some of the sections we've been looking at together. But there's a lot of very practical, powerful stuff here. So James chapter 4. James writes these words. He says, now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. 
If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, for them it is sin. He's saying, you make your plans for your life, but there's some key ingredients you need to know about making those kinds of decisions, making those kinds of plans. So we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit today, and I want to give you three questions that you can ask yourself. When it comes to those major life decisions, when it comes to your life planning, I want to give you three questions to ask yourself that I think will help you through the process, okay? And the first question is this. Are these plans, are my plans consistent with my convictions? Okay, that's what this book of James has really been all about as we've been going through it. It's all about finding out what you believe, not what you say you believe or what you think you believe, but what you truly believe. We talked about this in week one, that we have what we call public convictions. Public convictions are the things that I say I believe. I may or may not believe them, but I want everybody else to think that I believe these things, and so that's what I say I believe like politicians, okay? Then there are private convictions. The private convictions are the things that I sincerely and truly think that I believe, but if it came right down to it and it was put to the test, maybe not. And then there are core convictions, and the core convictions, that's what I truly believe, and I discover what my core convictions are by the way that I live my life by my behavior, by my actions, by my decisions. Those are my core convictions because you will never violate your core convictions. They are like the mental roadmap that you have for the way things are. That makes sense? So it's, it's like, like, for instance, I have a belief. In fact, I have a conviction about the law of gravity. Okay? No one needs to talk me into the law of gravity. No one has to, has to really make me believe that. I don't have to try real hard to believe it. It's something I believe. It's a core conviction. It's why I will not step outside of a 10-story window because I have a core conviction about gravity. Okay, it, It's so part of my life that I don't even think about it. It's just the way that I see the reality of life. And the same thing is true with your beliefs and your core convictions when it comes to your relationship with God. And that's the thing that James points out here. He starts out this whole thing with these two words. Now listen. Okay? Now what he's doing? He's getting their attention. It's a very blunt, grab your attention kind of thing. It's kind of like in our modern day vernacular, you would say, hey, get a clue. All right? Come on now. Pay attention here. Take a look at your decision-making process. That's what he's saying. He goes on, listen, this is what you say. Today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. That's a pretty good plan. Not a whole lot of flaws there. I mean, you know, if that were a business plan, that would be a good plan. You got a, you got a target start date today or tomorrow. You got some targeted cities. We're going to go to this city and that city, and we're going to carry on business. You're realistic about what your expectations. It's going to take a year maybe to, to, to turn a profit, and so we're going to spend a year there, and we're going to make some money. Well, that's, that's a good plan. I mean, that, that's very solid. It's got, all, it's got contingencies in it. It's got everything in it that you would... If you took that business plan to the shark tank, they would probably give you the funding, you know? You got a great idea. You got a good business plan. Boom. We'll support you. James said, listen. Listen how you plan. You lay that whole plan out, but there's one thing missing. Where is God in that picture? You got all this business plan. It looks really, really good, but there's a major piece that's missing it. He's not complaining about the idea that they're planning. In fact, good planning is good planning, and you ought to plan. But he's saying, in your plans, don't forget where God fits in all of it. See, I think we have this tendency to kind of compartmentalize our faith. 
We, we compartmentalize God. We, we confine him to maybe an hour and a half on the weekends. But when it comes to my everyday life, yeah, he's there, but I don't really take him much into account. James said, no, 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 no. Come on now. Get a clue here. Look at your planning process. Nowhere in all of that is God. Now, if you say your core convictions center around your life with God, if you're saying, I want to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ, but he doesn't come into your plans, get a clue. So one of the first questions to ask yourself when you start making those kinds of decisions, when you start kind of planning out your life, is are these plans consistent with my core convictions? If I say that my relationship with God is the most important thing, that that is a core conviction of my life, then every other plan ought to fit in around that. And that's where you start. Jesus talked about this. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? You can make all these plans. You can be a great success. But what if you gain all of that and lose your soul? There's a part of you that you got to pay attention to. There's something that is the essence of who you are. It's called your soul. And if all of your plans and all of your hopes and all of your dreams and all your decisions are all out here and without any consideration to your soul, you have missed the point. You might remember Jesus told a parable. He told a story about a very successful farmer who was so successful that when harvest time came in, he had such a huge harvest that he didn't have a barn big enough to hold everything. And the only decision he could think, the only answer to this whole thing was, well, then I should tear down these barns and build bigger barns. That was the only thought. And Jesus said of him, you fool. That night, God came to him and said, you fool. You fool, tonight your life is required of you. And who's going to get all that you have saved up? The answer to that is somebody else. James is echoing that same idea. He's saying, you say you've got this faith in, in God, and you've got this faith in Jesus, and, and you say you want to be a wholehearted father. You say you want him to be the director and guide for your life. But if you're making all your plans separate from that, then it's not really a core conviction. And you got to take a look at that. Second question you can ask yourself is, so what do these plans look like in light of eternity? How do my plans look in the light of eternity? He goes on. He says, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. He says, forget long-range planning. You don't even know what's going to happen. He said, you can lay out all those plans. It can be a great business plan. You can have everything all lined up and every, all the financial backing, the whole thing that you need. And you could wake up tomorrow morning and something could happen that would throw all of that out the window. Tomorrow, just tomorrow, it could all change like that. He says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Forget long-range planning. In fact, he goes on. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Isn't that an encouraging word for you this morning? <laughs> Not even a puff of smoke, because smoke has a little bit of ash, and that'll linger around for a while. He says, no, no, you're a water vapor. <laughs> the, word, the Greek word, which is our, word, our New Testament, was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word is atmis, which is where we get our word atmosphere. Okay? He says, you're nothing but a puff in the wind. Dust in the wind. He says, you're, you're here for a little while, and then you vanish. Now, he's not doing that to make us depressed. He's just saying, get some perspective. 
Because in the grand scheme of things, when it comes to a comparison by eternity, it's, that's it. A little missed and gone. So plan your life around things that count for eternity. He says it's foolish to arrange your whole life around the things that do not last, that do not matter. Get some perspective here. See your life from the view of eternity. We fill our lives with achievement and success and acquisition and and building our own little kingdoms. And, And really, really, it's but a puff of smoke. It's here and it's gone. John Ortberg, um, he's one of my favorite authors. He wrote a book called When the Game of Life is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. And and it's a great book. I highly recommend it. But he talks about this idea of of comparing life with the rules of monopoly and and really kind of getting perspective. And so he he talks about it. He talks in the beginning about um, how he used to play Monopoly with his grandmother. And his grandmother was ruthless when it came to the, the game of Monopoly. She knew how to buy the right hotels and houses and all that stuff at the right time, the right properties and everything. And she would just, he would never win when he played Monopoly with his grandmother. And when he was 10 years old, he finally got so frustrated with it. He said, I'm going to learn this game. And so he spent the whole summer with a neighbor of his just learning how to play the game, how to make the right moves and make the right purchases and all of that. And then he said, then fall came along. And he writes about it. Um, that fall, he comes back to play with his grandmother. He says, by the fall, when we sat down to play, I was more ruthless than she was. My palms were sweaty. I could play without softness or caution. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to. Slowly, cunningly, I exposed the soft underbelly of my grandmother's vulnerability. Relentlessly, inexorably, I drove her off the board. I can still remember... It happened at Marvin Gardens. (laughs) I looked at my grandmother. This was the woman who had taught me how to play. She was the old lady. She was an old lady by now, a widow. She had raised my mother. She loved my mother, and she loved me. And I took her for everything she had. (laughs) I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give up that last dollar and quit in utter defeat. It was the greatest moment of my life. I had won. I was cleverer and stronger and more ruthless than anyone else at the table. I was master of the board. And then my grandmother taught me one last thing. The greatest lesson comes at the end of the game. And here it is in the words of James Dobson. Now it all goes back in the box. All those houses and hotels, all that property... Boardwalk and park place, the railroads and the utility companies, all those thousands of dollars. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to leave it as a perpetual memorial to my skill at playing the game, to bronze it perhaps so others could admire my tenacity and success. I wanted the thrill of winning to be my perpetual companion. I was so heady with victory after all these years that a few moment, for a few moments I lost all touch with reality. None of that stuff was mine, not really. Now for a moment it was my turn to play the game. I could get all steamed up about it for a while and act as if the game were going to last forever. But it would not. Not for me. Not for you either. It's some good perspective. See, wise planning and wise decision making is made with eternity in mind. It's what really matters. 
Dr. Timothy Johnson wrote these words. We will never figure out how we should live our lives unless we fully understand the significance of the fact that it will end. And then what? So he says, start with eternity. Start with that eternal perspective and then squeeze all the other stuff in around it. Build your life around the things that last forever. Your soul. Other people. Those are what move into eternity. I had a conversation a couple weeks ago with a man. Um, and he was telling me kind of his life story and, and some of the decisions he had to make along the way. And, and he had an opportunity to take a great career move. Um, and, and, and it was kind of the dream job that he was looking for, except that it was going to destroy his family because not everybody in the family was on board. He said, it was one of the toughest decisions because this was, this was the career path that I had, I had pursued. This is, what I wanted to, this is what I wanted to do with my life. But I realized if I do that, I'm going to lose my family. He said, I made the choice to turn down the job and stay with my family. And then he said these words. He says, it was the right choice to make then and it is the right choice to make now. Do not regret that decision. That's what James is saying. Make your decisions in light of eternity. Think about the things that matter most. And then make your decisions around that. The things that have eternal value. Because the truth is your career is not you. Your toys are not you. Your acquisitions are not you. Your successes and achievements are not you. Your career is not you. There is something much deeper about you than any of those things. Make your decisions in light of that. And then the last one. Ask yourself, do my plans rely on my own abilities or on God's provision? Is it all about me and what I can do and what I can pull off and my cunning and my success? Or is there room in my plans for God? He says this, instead you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Um, It's been pointed out that there is a big if in the middle of life. Actually, there's a a life insurance company that kind of picked up on that. It's part of their advertising campaign. It's life with one big if in the middle of it. Really, your life is a big if. And the best place to take the ifs of your life is not a life insurance company. It's with God. Because ultimately, he is the one. He is the one. He is the only confident place to take those ifs of life and rely on him. He says, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will. Now, I think sometimes, sometimes that's kind of the Christian version of knock on wood. You know, (laughs) it's like kind of a good, good luck charm. He said, no, 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 not as an afterthought. He said, what you ought to say first and foremost is, If it's the Lord's will. In other words, you start with, God, what do you want for my life? What do you want to do with my life? What direction should I take with this? What's your direction for me? And prayerfully considering those things, then do your planning. What we tend to do is we make all of our plans, and then we say, okay, God, bless these. (laughs) He says, no, 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 start here, and then get his direction for your life. 
He says, listen, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Why is it evil? Because it's presumptuous. It's saying, God, I'm going to make everything work out. I'm going to figure it all out, and then you make it happen for me. He says, that's not faith. That's presumption. He says, you're just, you're just doing your own thing, and you want God to come alongside and kind of give his blessing to the whole deal. He says, no, no, start with God up front. Be willing to take big steps of faith. Not presumptuous steps, but big steps of faith. Steps of faith in which you realize, you know, God, if you don't come through, I'm going to fall flat on my face. But you do it prayerfully and with a great deal of consideration. We in our church for the last couple of years, particularly the last two to three years now, we have been making a lot of really big decisions. In fact, we're still making some really, really big decisions. And that's kind of scary stuff. You know, because you've got to, what's the best thing to do? What's the wisest choice to make? And we spend a lot of time talking about it and praying about it and, and really wrestling with it. And, you know, we, we, uh, a year ago, we decided we needed to add another service because we were just getting overly packed in, in our services. So we decided we need to find another service time where, where we don't have any more room on the weekend. And the only place there was room was a 12 o'clock noon service. And I thought, nobody's going to come to a church service at noon right in the middle of their Sunday. But it was like the best choice of all that was available to us. And we prayed about it. And we thought about it. We talked about it. And we finally said, okay, let's give it. And actually, people came. <laughs> and it's just like, and we, we are making big decisions about a new building. Next, next weekend, we're breaking ground on a new building. That's scary stuff, let me tell you. Because there's a whole lot of financial commitment to that. There's a whole lot of resource commitment to that. There's a lot of big stuff. And we're just going, God, we don't want to be shirking back from what you're doing but this is kind of scary and it's making room for god and we do that as a church we do that as church leadership you do it in your own life not presumptuously saying hey god i got big plans and i got big hopes and dreams now you bless these but just saying god where do you want me to go what's the next step for me and leaving room for god to work in the middle of it When we do that, what we're doing is we're recognizing ultimately I am not in control of my life. I plan. I try to make the wisest plans. I run them through these filters. I try to, try to make the best decisions that I can at the time. I go through that decision-making process. But ultimately, the ultimate results are out of my hands. They are in God's hands. We talk about that a lot around here. In fact, a sentence that we, we say a lot around here. In fact, I'd, I'd like to kind of reinforce enforce that this this morning because we need to be reminded of this all the time so i'm going to ask you to repeat after me okay there is a god and it is not me okay some of you weren't too sure about that so we'll try it again there is a god and there is not me okay one more time to make sure that you walk out of here and remembering this okay there is a god and it is not me And when I come to that realization, you know what that does? It takes the pressure off. It gives me a a sense of really all that weight that I carry on my shoulders. I realize I can't control that anyway. There is a God and it's not me. I'll give one example of that. Um, We were heading into the Easter season this year. And um, let me just tell you this kind of what preachers go through. 
Easter is like, that is the one big day you don't want to blow it, okay? It's like, you know, you get 52 sermons maybe a year, but you better not screw it up on Easter, because that's like your one big shot for a lot of people who show up only on Easter, and it's like, you know, and, I'm, and I was just carrying this weight, this, I'm going through my sermon prep, and you know when you start carrying all that pressure on, you start thinking, oh man, I can't, I can't blow this, I can't blow it, you get writer's block, and it's like nothing you think of is going to make sense. And you try, oh, that's not good. And you know, you're right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm. and I'm going through, and I'm, I'm just agonizing. It's the hardest sermon I was, I, I've not experienced this in a long, long time. It's just like, and I was just like overwhelmed that I couldn't come. I'm just, I was just like carrying this huge weight. And then, then I was listening that week to a podcast. It was another pastor, and he was talking about, he says, you know, as pastors, we kind of think it all depends on us. That we got to say just the right words and have just the right points and a little bit of humor and a good illustration here and there. And if we do a right, really good talk, people are going to respond to it. He says, you know what? We need to realize that there is a gap between the words that come out of our mouth and when they hit somebody else's ears. And that gap, that's where God works. And listen to that. And I went, oh. <laughs> That's right. It's not about me. It's not about having that perfect Easter sermon. Yeah, I better do a good job, but it's not on me. It's God who works in people's lives. And it's just kind of one example. And there are others in your own life that you can think of. And, and really what it comes down to, it's, it's, it's realizing I am not in control of the outcome. I will make the best and wisest godly plans that I possibly can. I will try by God's wisdom to make the best decisions that I can, running it through these filters. But ultimately, ultimately, I've got to realize my life is in God's hands. And that's a safe place to be. And James ends this whole thing with a sentence that doesn't seem at first glance to fit with anything that he's been talking about. And it's almost kind of like something that comes out of left field. And you read it and you go, what? I, how does that fit with all this other stuff about life plan? He says, if you know the good you ought to do and don't do it, you sin. Huh? What does that have to do with life planning and everything? And what he's saying is, listen, you know what it really comes down to? It's just everyday trust and obedience. It's not about trying to find some vague God's will, because God wants his will for your life more than you do. You don't have to try and figure all that out for me. He says what you need to do is just learn to be obedient to the things that you already know are his will. We have, we have this big thing. I got this big decision. I'm trying to find God's will. I'm just, and it's just like, well, you know, just be obedient to the things that you do know that are pretty clear in Scripture. Just be obedient to that. And here's what I found over my life. The more that I am learning to just be obedient in everyday situations to God's instructions for my life, those bigger decisions actually get a lot easier to make. And I think that's what he's saying. More than anything else, your life plan is about daily obedience to God. And if you can figure out how to do that and be faithful in that, the other stuff will kind of fall into place. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.